Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. A very warm welcome to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And good evening to you all. I am Seema Barker and very happy to be here with you this evening. And um, I think Lydia is going to be telling us who we'll be talking to first today. Yeah, I'm really excited to to join uh, two of our wonderful guests this evening. First up, we're going to speak to Dr. Faith Orchard, who is a lecturer in psychology at the University of Sussex. And her research expertise is child and adolescent mental health. And in the past five years, she's developed an expertise in particular on the role of sleep in child and adolescent well-being and mental health. And I think we all feel very strongly that that's a topic we need to give plenty of attention to after the year we've had, lockdown, homeschooling. Yeah, so it's top of my priority list. Yeah, it's probably something that we should be thinking about more often anyway, isn't it? You know, we all know somewhere in the back of our heads that sleep is really important. But you're right, Lydia. At the moment, we want to make sure our children are getting the right kind of sleep and enough of it because of everything we've been through, but going through. Exactly, exactly. So a very warm welcome, Dr. Faith Orchard. Thanks a million for joining us on the Parents Show this evening. Thanks both for having me. It's really nice to be here and yeah, looking forward to some interesting discussions. Well, I'm going to be scribbling notes the whole way through for myself, for my kids, for my family, because I think this is such a hot topic at the moment. Sleep and children's well-being, it's, it's so important. Faith, can you tell us what a good sleep routine looks like for children and for teens? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess there's lots of things that contribute towards a good sleep routine. Um, the, the first one we obviously kind of go to is, uh, do we get enough sleep? And the guidance for children and teens does differ a little bit. Essentially, as you get a bit older, you tend to need a bit less sleep. So for school age children, you know, you might be looking at children wanting to get somewhere around, you know, 10 10 hours sleep, 11 hours sleep. Whereas for teenagers, they might need a bit less. They might be needing kind of more in the ballpark of about nine hours, perhaps eight. But actually, time isn't really that much of an issue for sleep. Really, what you want to do is get enough sleep that you function well in the day. So when we're working with families who might be experiencing sleep problems, really what we're interested in is what's the daily impact? Because our sleep is so crucial for so many important aspects of our functioning. The other thing we might be interested in looking at is, you know, do we get to sleep relatively quickly or are we lying there awake for a long time? You know, how good is the quality of the sleep as well and not just the quantity? I suppose the most important thing really for having a good sleep routine is normally consistency. So for all of us, what we want to do is have a good pattern where we're doing the same things so we go to bed at the same times and we wake up at the same times in the morning. And that's really helpful for our body just to know when to expect sleep to occur. That's really interesting. And I love the idea of consistency. That that pretty much, I think, is the one thing I think that I've learned through 16 years so far of parenting is that almost applies to everything. But what I'm really interested in is even if you have a routine, though, some children are perhaps maybe, are they night owls? Teenagers, I'm thinking of particularly. So they might say, like you were saying, it's not about how many hours of sleep they get. They might say, well, look, I'm not tired. It's 11.30. I know you want me to be in bed now, but I'm not that tired. Do we believe them? Or is it part of that being a teenager wanting to be a bit rebellious? 
Yeah, that's such a brilliant question. And I think you've highlighted two really important points there. So first of all, you have this individual variability in sleep. So each of us is a bit different. And some people will be night owls and some people will be larks. And they'll be the ones that go to bed early and get up bright and early in the morning. And there isn't any right or wrong with either of those patterns. That's fine. As long as the quality is good enough and you feel okay the next day and you can function doesn't matter which of those tendencies you you might have but you've also touched there interestingly on the the adolescent kind of problem we have about you know them not wanting to go to bed or telling us that they're they're not tired and actually for the most part they are absolutely right their bodies are not ready for sleep so this really interesting thing happens during teenage years where The circadian rhythm, which is the biological process that tells us what time we should go to sleep and what time we should wake up, it gets delayed during the teenage years. So our body actually physically isn't ready for sleep until later in the evening than it is when we were children or even when we're adults. So teens are right. You know, they're not, you know, pulling a fast one on us. They actually aren't ready for sleep. Their bodies aren't tired. I'm really slightly concerned about the fact that you just said out loud in public teens are right. I I, I don't know if we could backpedal at all. But uh, no, I'm just no, I'm just joking. It's actually it's actually a relief to hear as a parent of teenagers, which is that, you know, sometimes you want to have the right reason to give them a break. Um, And so when they say that, then, you know, it's trying to find that balance between worrying about them and actually believing them when they say, you know, it's all right, mum, I'm not tired. I'll be fine to get up at 630 or seven or whatever time they're going to manage to get out of bed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, that's good to hear. What What's the importance of having a good sleep routine really then? So sleep is hugely important for our well-being, our functioning, both physically and mentally. And it's something that's been studied for such a long time to really try and get to grips with what sleep actually does. It's this sort of mystery thing that we've struggled with for, for many years. But for the whole part, what we know is that Sleep is hugely important both for biological functioning and psychological functioning. So when we're asleep, lots of things happen to our body that are important just for our our health. So things like our cells are kind of resting and repairing themselves. We have hormones being released that can help us grow if we're children. So there's lots of just the physical development stuff that's going on. But there's also quite a lot of cognitive functioning. So things like we learn during the night, our memories develop during the night, but also things like we can forget things. So things that our brain decides it no longer needs, that can all be decided during sleep as well. But I guess in terms of well-being, you know, it's great that we want to function well in ourselves, but we also need that emotional well-being in place. And sleep's also really important for us to be able to regulate our emotions. So if we're not getting enough sleep, it's really hard for us to actually kind of stay on top of how we're feeling and, and manage our emotions. So Faith, I have a 12-year-old, so he's not quite a teen, and he is adamant that he doesn't need the 10 to 12 hours that we have pointed out in the Harvard sleep study or something like that. How much would you listen to that? Should I, I mean, it's 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 not quite the teen scenario that Seema is talking about, but it's on the cusp of teen. And is it worth persisting to try and get him to have as much as possible, given what you just said about how important it is when it comes to well-being? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think, I guess to say, you know, the the quantity guidelines are very much just averages. So, you know, they're based on evidence that tells us approximately how much we think you need to be able to function. But there's going to be huge amounts of variability within that. Some people will just need less and some people will need more. So I think, first of all, I wouldn't worry too much about falling perfectly within the guidelines. But I guess also, I think really, if you're looking for whether or not sleep is causing problems, you need to look at the daily functioning. So, you know, I think in the case of your son, I'd be wanting to know, does he manage to get up in the morning? Is he able to concentrate on his schoolwork? Does he get, you know, really grouchy in the day because he just can't kind of process what's going on? I'd be more interested in knowing whether or not he feels like he's you know, he can get up and he can function. I think so much about sleep disturbance is actually just about how we feel and how we cope more so than, you know, getting the sleep to look exactly how we might, you know, to say it should look. Oh, you're going to totally make his day. So that, <laughs> oh, he's just going to be so happy. <laughs> Thanks, Faith. Sorry, Seema, you were going to say something there. No, no, I was going to say, no, absolutely. I th- it, it, well, you can you can be relieved, Lydia, that you can step back a little bit and let him get his way. This is one of the ones that you don't have to fight. That's fantastic. When it comes to, you've kind of mentioned some of the, 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 the problems there. So not being able to wake up or not being able to concentrate on schoolwork, being a bit grouchy. But can you can you elaborate a little bit more? What do we need to be looking out for, I suppose, when things go wrong, when children and teens aren't aren't sleeping well? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, th- I think particularly with teenagers, you know, we know they're going through quite a lot anyway. There's lots of um, hormone changes and lots of other difficulties. Sometimes it can be quite hard to tease apart what might be sleep. But I guess the thing to say with sleep is that the consequences of it are involuntary. You know, we you know, we're not just grumpy because we're, you know, in a bit of a bad mood and that'll pass in a minute. You know, if we're having sleep problems, these are things, you know, we're not going to be able to control how much of a deficit this is having. So I suppose with things like, you know, concentration, if you've got a child who is struggling to concentrate on their work, but actually when you put them in front of a TV show that they love, they're quite happy getting on with it and concentrating on the TV show, then that possibly might not necessarily suggest that it's biological. It might be more motivation driven. Whereas with sleep problems, you know, if you've got someone who is struggling to concentrate because they're sleep deprived, then it's likely to be that actually most aspects of their life, including the aspects that they really like, are harder and they're enjoying them less and they're not able to focus on them. So I think looking for things that look a little bit more like it isn't just about motivation or about having a bad day. And I guess that point also about having a bad day is is another good one to think about is not just, you know, a one off day of not concentrating. You know, we know we all have days like that where we're just not quite able to get into the right zone. But does this seem to be a problem that's happening on a regular basis? You know, are they regularly waking up in a bad mood, regularly finding it hard to focus? But also one thing I would say is it's obviously good to look for the signs, but also just asking children how their sleep is, you know, what time did they fall asleep? What time did they wake up? You know, were they waking up in the night? Children are actually pretty good at describing their sleep um, and they will know better than anybody whether or not it feels like something is going wrong. So I think there's, there are some signs we can look out for, but just talking to children is a really good place to start. As always, Faith, you make too much sense and you make it so lovely and simple. That's brilliant. Thank you. But things can go more seriously wrong than being grouchy, right? If if sleep is an issue. And I'd love to hear what you think about that. When when is it more than just being grouchy and when is it time to take serious action? 
Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Things obviously can can go a bit worse and, and there's multiple things we might look out for. So we might look out for that kind of persistence that I mentioned before. So, you know, how long has this been going on? And, you know, the longer it goes on, the harder it's going to get. You know, if we're sleep deprived and we're irritable, we're just going to become less and less able to function. But there are also specific things that we might start to become concerned about. So if sleep is a persistent problem, we might start seeing impacts on mental health. So we might find children becoming more anxious or, or lower in mood the longer the problem goes on. And also if we're seeing a problem that looks a bit like insomnia, so difficulties getting to sleep, it can often get into a bit of a vicious cycle and the sleep problems can get worse. So what happens with insomnia is we become stressed about the fact that we can't get enough sleep or we're not getting to sleep. And the more stress we get, the harder it is to sleep. So the problem can kind of exacerbate itself. So I think looking out for a worsening sleep problem is going to be important because, you know, the more stressed we become, you know, the harder our next day is going to be on top of the fact that we're going to be a bit sleep deprived. But also, like I said, looking out for some perhaps changes in other aspects of well-being as well. So does this seem to be triggering other difficulties that we might be concerned about and any of those signs might lead us then to perhaps try and seek some guidance or or tips on things that can help to improve our sleep. Now I think we're going to come back and ask you about some tips and guidance on, on what we should do but currently it feels like every problem is perhaps a little bit worse because of what we're all dealing with as a as I can say as a nation but as a planet I suppose as a species. What have you seen Is it more problematic dealing with sleep problems or or are people finding it more difficult to sleep at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and, you know, really nice point you made or a very important point you made there about, you know, we're all struggling more so than normal. And, you know, it makes sense then that that's going to exacerbate other problems that we might then experience. So I guess there's the two things I wanted to touch on then with your question. So first of all is what is the impact that, you know, COVID is having on our sleep? And we've seen, you know, anecdotally, I've had lots of families telling me that sleep is hard. So it's particularly difficult getting to sleep and staying asleep. But also that there seems to be evidence in in young people, particularly that sleep is delayed and it's happening later. So we've heard that really anecdotally. But actually, there's also some evidence now starting to emerge that backs up all of those points as well. Obviously, over the past year, researchers have been working to understand what's going on with sleep. And that is now coming out in the evidence as well. So particularly, you know, young people struggling to get to sleep, but going to bed later. I think there's some interesting points in there. I mean, it obviously makes sense that we would be struggling to get to sleep because we're stressed. So, you know, we know insomnia is linked to stress and and all of us are probably dealing with that on some level. You know, some people will be worse than others, but it makes sense that it's hard to get to sleep. But the sleep pattern aspect is actually very interesting. So the fact that young people kind of across the ages are going to bed a bit later, but teenagers in particular are going to bed, you know, much later than they were pre-COVID. But what's very interesting is that they've done some comparisons on sleep time. So how much sleep did you get before COVID and how much sleep do you get now? And what's quite interesting is that teenagers on weekends is no different. So they might be going to bed a bit later, but they're getting the same amount of sleep. But actually in the week, teenagers are now getting more sleep than they were pre-COVID. Now, this makes sense if you actually think about why this is happening. So I said at the start that for teenagers, their body clocks have naturally shifted. So they go to bed later than we might like, but we also then make them get up for school in the morning. But they're now not getting up for school in the morning to quite the same extent, you know, as they were pre-COVID, you know, if they've been in lockdown, which means they can get up when their bodies want them to get up. 
So they're actually getting the amount of sleep their bodies want rather than, you know, what society kind of dictates for them. So that's really interesting, I think, you know, a potential tiny silver lining in there of, you know, teenagers finally catching up on the bit of sleep that they've been deprived of. We'll take every silver lining you can throw at us, please, Faith. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I think that was kind of the main point I wanted to make. I think the other thing I just wanted to say about, you know, thinking through the impact of sleep difficulties at the moment really comes back to the fact that, like you said, we're already feeling quite stretched. So if we are having sleep problems, it's probably going to have a worse impact than normal just because every aspect of our life is probably a little bit stretched and a little bit thin. So it's quite possible, you know, if we do get a bad night's sleep, it almost feels worse than it might have done, you know, before COVID kicked in. Thanks, Faith. That's that's really interesting. I'm so surprised to hear the teens are actually getting more sleep during lockdown. And more generally, I suppose, like as I'm I'm hearing stories from different moms, some teenagers have turned nocturnal, basically. They're awake half the night and they're asleep. You know, if they don't have a Google Meet first thing in the morning, they're sleeping in. And I'm hearing other ones where parents are lucky if they get their teens out once a week out of the house once a week or that they're going from bed to desk to bed and that's it. I'm just wondering what you think about that. Is that what you're hearing too? Does that have an impact on sleep? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely hearing those stories as well. And I think those are perhaps a little bit more worrying than just the slight delayed body clock for lots of reasons. So, you know, you gave the example of teenagers who are nocturnal. And I think, you know, whilst that might be okay at the moment and they can function as long as there's not anything they're missing. That's going to be so difficult when, you know, society starts to look more normal again. You've got to change a massive amount of kind of that body clock and that body rhythm. That's that. I think that is a bit worrying, you know, getting back into routine. That's going to become a challenge. Uh, you also made the point about kind of daily routines as well. Now, this is quite interesting. And I think, One thing that we, our sleep has particularly struggled with, I think, during the lockdown is the fact that we can't get out and do the things we would normally do out of the house. So that might just be going to school. It might be going out for exercise. But actually, what we do during the day has a big impact on how well we sleep at night. So, you know, getting physical activity is really good because then we're tired and our bodies are tired and we're, we have less opportunity for those things at the moment. And I think that is, you know, again, is, is not ideal for our sleep. Although hopefully, you know, as we get, fingers crossed, a bit of freedom back, those things should naturally kind of start to come back in and and help with sleep quality again. And I'm just wondering, do you have an opinion on screen time and whether that, because obviously they're on the screen, we're all on the screen all day, let's be honest, but then to relax, they might want to, you know, they, they might be checking their phones or whatever. And, you know, okay, we want to be a little bit sensible, but as our children grow older, they also have quite a lot of independence it means that so such a large percentage of their day can be I say they their day I mean everybody's day right now can be you know on a screen is there any thoughts as to whether the what our experience has been over the last year which is you know an exponential increase in how much time we spend on a screen is going to be affecting our sleep yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, screen time and sleep's obviously been a hot topic for a while, but you're right, we're in a very unusual situation where, like you said, we're actually on screens almost all day, you know, for work and then socialising. And I think, to be honest, I, I don't know if we really know what the impact of that is going to be, you know, kind of, you know, long term or 
you know, into whatever the the new normal ends up looking like. So I think the that that kind of, you know, like you're saying, the screen time across the day is a tricky area. I'm not sure if we really have the answers to that yet. But the point about screen time in the evening is a really interesting one. And you're absolutely right. Teenagers are getting more independence. You know, we need to give them that. That's an important part of their development as well. So I think there's a few things I would say here. First of all, the big challenge with screen time in the evening is the level of stimulation that it creates. So if we're doing something that is really stimulating and engaging, so this might be, you know, gaming, you know, being on an Xbox or a PlayStation, or it might be doing homework where we're having to really think quite hard about something. Anything that creates quite a lot of brain activity is the stuff that's a problem. So that's what's going to kind of keep our brain really busy when we then try and rest and, you know, get into bed to fall asleep. So I think the the negotiation really for families is about, I suppose, letting young people have a bit of control, a bit of choice over what they do, but helping them to understand which things are going to be causing problems. So if they do want to game at night, making sure they come off it, you know, and they have an hour before bed where they get to wind down and helping them to understand, you know, why that is that you're, you know, you're not just trying to lay down the law, but actually for them to get a good night's sleep, they just need a bit of time away from it. But if they do want to do things later, just knowing that there are certain things that are going to be better than others. So, you know, reading is going to be fine, even if it's reading on a a Kindle, perhaps, you know, if you've got the light not too bright, that's probably going to be okay. Listening to podcasts is going to be okay. Obviously, that's a bit different because it's not going to be necessarily on a screen. But I think it's just about helping young people to understand these things, understand what role they play and negotiating a good balance for them. And how much of that is actually the blue screen impact, Faith? Because this is what we always hear. Oh, it's the blue screen that stimulates you. Is it the blue screen or is it the content? Brilliant question. And we're still learning really about that. So we know for a fact that the blue light interferes with the release of melatonin, which is the hormone that helps us to fall asleep. So it is true that the blue light interferes, but the extent to which it interferes is still not fully understood so there's some evidence emerging that suggests that with things like gaming if you vary the level of blue light it doesn't make a difference to sleep but if you vary the level of stimulation in the game it does which would suggest that although the blue light plays a role it's more about the level of stimulation that is particularly problematic so I think you know it's being mindful of both but definitely avoiding the really kind of uh, intense activities before bed. It's funny that that the idea of reading most kids would think is an intense activity and yet you know so many of us have the experience of reading three lines and falling asleep almost doesn't make sense does it. Everything you've said has been really helpful Faith I, I have to say it's it's good to hear that there are just some sensible conversations that we can have with our children to perhaps you know help them understand why it is that they need to desist from doing certain things. What should be we watching out in terms of problematic behaviour, what what do you think we should be looking out for as, as parents? Yeah, so I think, I mean, in terms of sleep habits, I mean, I, you know, I've mentioned a few things already that are particularly good to just to be mindful of. So trying to keep routine is really important. So our body is going to find it easier to get to sleep if it knows what time it should be trying to get to sleep. So I think what happens, you know, what happens in kind of, normal times as it were is that you'd have a kind of a school day routine and then a weekend routine and actually that's not ideal what you want is for your school days and your weekends to look quite similar for your sleep so that the body just knows what to expect 
But at the moment, you know, it, you know, whilst we're going through lockdowns, if we're not attending school, it's possible that our sleep is just all over the place and we don't have any kind of structural routine at all. So I think just spotting out some of those routines and making sure that it is consistent as much as possible throughout the week. And then, yeah, you know, like we just talked about with screens, you know, just looking out for things that might be interfering, trying to have a good evening kind of relaxing process so what are the steps we take during the evening to gradually unwind especially you know if we've been studying at home you know we we might be kind of thinking through lots of different things our socializing and our homework just having a time where we properly switch off and we get ourselves ready I think in terms of spotting the habits that's probably the stuff to look out for in terms of looking out for the impact of sleep I think this is very difficult at the moment because of lockdown and because of various things we've already discussed today we know for all of us that our kind of our well-being and our emotions are all over the place and we're on a bit of a roller coaster and actually knowing when something is evidence of a sleep problem is going to be very difficult to tease that apart from just daily stress that we might be encountering but I think I would come back to the point I made earlier about looking out for when there's a consistent problem rather than a temporary one. So I don't know if you two have both experienced this, but for me, very much my lockdown or COVID experience is a bit like a roller coaster. So some days I'm OK, other days I'm really not. And there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or rhythm to it, but it just comes and goes a bit. Whereas if you've got a sleep problem that's causing issues, like I was saying earlier, you're really going to see this is something that we haven't got much control of. We can't just suddenly pick ourselves up and feel fine again. It's going to be quite a consistent problem that we're going to be seeing. So just looking out for anything where, you know, things don't feel quite right and they keep going that way and they don't seem to be kind of changes in in those kind of fluctuations. Thanks, Faith. So I wanted to just come back to something you mentioned, which is insomnia and how seriously we should take that. How long is not having enough sleep to qualify as insomnia and how quickly would you address it? Because I think that's the one we can probably all relate to the most. Yeah, okay. So insomnia, there's obviously various components that would actually, you know, create a or, or put together a diagnosis of insomnia. So I think I'm, I'm going to avoid uh, kind of that terminology, but you're right, there are timelines that we can kind of think about. So in our, you know, in our practice, when we're working with young people with various mental health problems, if we've got a young person who's taking more than about an hour and a half to fall asleep, that's when we're going to start getting a bit worried and we might want to, you know, offer them some guidance. So it's certainly not your kind of, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour that, you know, we'd be worried about. And you'd also be expecting to see that most nights, not just on the odd one off. So, you know, if it does take you a couple of hours to fall asleep one night, then the next night you're back to normal and you're fine again. That's okay. It is about these problems occurring frequently. And like I said, you know, taking quite a significant amount of time to get to sleep. Having said that, irrespective of insomnia, if it's taking you more than about 20 minutes to get to sleep, generally good sleep practice is actually to get up do something for a little bit and then come back and try again. So although that's not insomnia, it does suggest that our bodies are not quite ready for sleep if it's, you know, taking us 20 minutes or or more than that to get to sleep. So we can just get ourselves up, go and do something and then and then come back and try again. I think that'll be the biggest surprise for parents. So if you're not getting to sleep, don't lie there tossing and turning. Get up, walk around the house, maybe have a banana and and try again is that's what you're saying faith yeah that's absolutely right but you're really right making a really important point there lydia i think that it's it is really counterintuitive and i think sometimes you know it's very helpful to have these conversations to highlight some of these things and it's a, it's similar to kind of the rule that 
you know, if you're tired, don't go to bed early because, you know, actually, if you go to bed early and you can't sleep, you're going to lie there stressed again. So in, in some ways, it's actually better to go to bed later and, and make sure your body gets to sleep. So there are a few of these kind of rules of thumb that are not always obvious. But yeah, absolutely right. So the, we say we call it the 20 minute rule. So if you've been in bed for 20 minutes and you and you don't seem to be getting to sleep and, you know, starting to worry about it, absolutely get up, go and do something. It might be reading a book, you know, it might be having a warm drink, whatever it is, it should obviously be relaxing. And then when you're starting to feel tired, go back and try again. And the reason this is actually an issue is that if you stay in bed, what happens is that you start to create this relationship between being in bed and being awake and that's not the relationship you want to create. You want bed to be associated with sleep. So the longer you lie there awake, the more likely you are to break that relationship between bed and sleep. So it's way better to get up and do your awake somewhere else so that then you get back into bed and you get a good bed sleep relationship. Brilliant. That's so interesting. And like you say, for me, certainly that's so counterintuitive. I, I wouldn't have thought about it. But luckily, I've had a chat with you before. And I, I know now that, that that's the right thing to do, which is which is a great help. And at, at what point would you resort to taking kind of some some kind of either homeopathic or or sleep tablets to try and fix it even on on, on a short term basis? Yeah, so so I work with young people and, and those are not practices that we would typically be using. I mean, obviously, if there are any strong concerns, then I would absolutely advise people to go and talk to their GP about what the, the best avenues are. So there are occasions where some, you know, different approaches might be used. But on the whole, I would say, you know, we try and avoid them. You know, we want people to learn the right habits that help rather than ending up relying on tablets or medication that are not necessarily targeting an underlying problem. But yeah, absolutely. I think if there are any concerns, do go and speak to, you know, your GP or, or, or a health practitioner who can offer some guidance. There are some really good psychological approaches out there, very similar to some of the things we've discussed today, really, that do just give you a bit of guidance and support on on getting things back on track again. Ah, okay. What, what about lighting when it comes to going to sleep? Is lighting an issue, keeping things darker as you get towards bedtime or not? I'd love to know what you think. Yeah, so so lighting, yeah, you're absolutely right, does play a role. Obviously, natural light is particularly relevant to sleep because that triggers the relevant hormones for us, you know, with our kind of our, our sleeping and our waking. So artificial light isn't as influential as natural light is but yeah it's, it's going to interfere with kind of how sleepy we feel so it's going to depend on the young person you know if you've got a child who is feeling a bit anxious about the dark and does want a little bit of light then it's going to be fine to have you know something as long as it's quite dim ideally like a night light rather than a you know a, a kind of a normal light bulb but yeah, wherever possible we obviously want to try and have a nice dark cool bedroom is the best environment for sleep but then light's really important for waking. So when we wake up in the morning, we want to chuck the curtains open as quickly as possible so that the natural light gets in because that then helps us to wake the body up in the morning. Fantastic. So many useful hints and tips, Faith. I think I, I think we're, we're all really tooled up now because whether everybody, when you're listening to this, you're still in lockdown or not in lockdown anymore, what you've said is so valuable, even for the current pandemic situation and not in 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 the pandemic situation so thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your expertise with us it's been brilliant having you on the show yeah thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure dr faith orchard from the university of sussex
A very warm welcome to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And I am Seema Barker. And really interested in who our next guest is. Lydia, are you going to tell us? I am indeed. Well, a very warm welcome back to Ruby Rout, who is the founder of WUCA. Now, in case you don't know who WUCA are, I'm really, really proud. This is um, a St. Albans-based business that produces period pants for girls and for women. And we're going to talk to Ruby in just a second. No, it is it is absolutely fantastic. I'm a big Wooka fan, I have to say. And it makes it even more endearing that not only is it a great company for so many different reasons and a great product, but also a local one. Yeah, that's a double advantage. So, Ruby, thank you so much for joining us on the Parents Show this evening. How are you doing? Hello, Lydia and Seema. Thank you very much for having me. I'm good, thank you. Yes, very excited to be here. It's been a few years since we had you on the Parents Show, indeed. I think we reckon it must have been about three years ago you were you were on the show. Yeah, I, I remember clearly the day. I think I was still in the very early days of WUCA and was trying my best to spread the word out of what the product is. Yeah, so very excited to be here. Thank you. Well, it's brilliant to have you back. And just for our listeners who didn't listen to that show three years ago, or who maybe don't know, tell us about your journey, Ruby, and how, how you've got to us today. Okay, so I'm Ruby. I'm the CEO and co-founder of WUCA. Oh, as um, Lydia said, we make period underwear that completely replaces the need for tampons or pads. So you just wear it, wash it, and reuse it again. I I guess the story of Wuka starts from my childhood, from Nepal. I, I was born and brought up in Nepal. Um, and at the age of 12, I had my first period. And I also had my first chopadi, uh, where girls, women are banished for bleeding. Um, so on my f- first day of period ever, my mom just handed me some old sari rags. It's like a piece of saris cut into square pieces. And she told me that that'll go between my legs in the underwear. And that's my menstrual product for the rest of my life. And not only that, that was quite shocking, uh, but I was also sent to my aunt's house. I stayed there for eight to eight days um, and pretty much stayed in a room. I was not allowed to go out. It's almost like they were trying to imprison me and I was untouchable for eight days. And that was a scar that I still carry, I think so. And still now many girls in Nepal go through the same thing, even in cities. They're not allowed to go to kitchen. They're not allowed to touch the water or go to school. And one of the reasons that many girls in Asian countries actually miss school because of this untouchableness. So when you came to the UK, it made you realize there was still a stigma around periods, yeah. even even in the UK. That was quite shocking for me because I thought Western country was quite liberal about these kind of things, but they still shame and stigma around periods. But what I really loved was there were so many choices in the supermarket. Like you can find so many pads, long pads for day, night, tampons that absorbs all sorts of flow. But one of the problem was there were no sustainable menstrual product in the supermarket aisle. So that really got me thinking like, how come a, a, a country that is, I think more and more focused now on sustainability don't have any sustainable menstrual product? 
when I came here, I also uh, did environmental science degree. And that was really my turning point in terms of thinking of how much we consume and where does that all end up? You know, all the, from the plastic packaging to every, every product we consume that ends up in landfill. So what can we do about it? And um, I, I came to Samuel Ryder actually to do a, um, a pilot project where I spoke to some girls about reusable menstrual product and only two knew about reusable menstrual product. So that was almost like my eureka moment. Came home, bought a secondhand sewing machine and made an underwear which had inbuilt a pad in it and tried it myself. And that's how Wooka started. Thanks. That's great to be reminded of all of that, Ruby. Now, I, I feel like it's probably a good idea to, for those of our listeners who don't know when we use the term WUKA, that it's actually an acronym. Would you like to tell our listeners so w- what it actually is and what it stands for? Yeah. So WUKA stands for wake up, kick ass. Periods have very negative connotation, you know. There's still stigma and shame around it. So what I, what I really wanted to give messages like, Regardless of like how many names you have got for period or how embarrassed you feel, when it when it comes to talking the straight talk, we need to just speak up and say about it. You know, be loud and proud about your period. I mean, it's the fundamental thing that makes human exist in this world. So we should never be ashamed of it. I mean, I think it's a really great message for people to hear. And I, but I also think that it is something that aligns a lot more with the younger generation, which is, you know, for me, when I was growing up, that wasn't necessarily the case. But I think you're right that actually you're tapping into how a lot of young people feel, which is, it's not something to be ashamed of at all. And and so it's also sustainable, which is, which is also something that a lot of younger people and older people feel. But I just want to ask you a question. You said, oh, and then I went home, I got a sewing machine, and I made myself... <laughs> this sustainable period pads I might do that but I wouldn't necessarily know where in goodness to start with the kind of material so Ruby just explain that to us how does it actually work so it took me about six months actually to find the right material that is comfortable stretchy enough to fit all shapes and sizes absorbent enough to hold certain amount of flow and most importantly leak proof so it did take quite a few times in terms of making the underwear but the underwear works exactly like, like how I spoke. It, it has got few layers in the gusset area. That's where the, the blood gets absorbed. Um, so on the top layer, you have got a normal cotton, organic cotton or tensile modal fabric. That's something which we use. And then underneath there is an absorbent fabric. It's very simple, like super absorbent terry towel kind of piece. And then underneath there is a leak-proof layer. These leak-proof layers are, are actually mostly used in reusable nappies, but these are more thinner version to make sure that the underwear feels like you're wearing a normal underwear. And then outer layer is again the organic cotton or tensile modal or, or basic cotton that we use. So it's it's very simple actually, and simply constructed, effective to do the job. I had forgotten what WUCA stands for Ruby and good thing I had my microphone muted there because I just guffawed out loud and you're dead right you're absolutely right to empower women and and take the stigma away from periods and open up the conversation you know it's it's something that badly needs to be done so I'm dying to know how things are going now so you've had quite a hard and long journey to get to us today how have the last 12 months gone how how is the business going 
the last 12 months is exactly the pandemic time, I guess. Uh, it's been a bit of a crazy moment for us. Last year, actually, my main goal was how can I reach to more people? How can I be beyond like a small startup in St. Albans to reaching out thousands of girls and women all around the world or even in UK? So my, my main goal was like, a supermarket is one place where people go and buy their menstrual products still today. So um, last year in March, we uh, launched in Sainsbury's and that was like one of my biggest success uh, so far. We are at, at the moment in 214 stores. All my buyers are super happy with how we are performing in a supermarket. So that's always a good thing to hear from them. And not only that, now we are in Ocado, Planet Organic, Whole Foods. Last month we are we launched in Superdrugs online, Superdrug online. So yeah, it's been quite a crazy ride. Six months ago we were a team of two. Now we have grown to a team of twelve. So it's it's going really like um, I'm really learning the ropes of around the business and and working as a team. Yeah, encouraging other people to do to do what we are doing, but at a maybe larger scale. Do you know what, Ruby? It's a really lovely, heartening, encouraging story to hear because, of course, you know, a lot of businesses have really struggled under the pandemic. But there are those aspects of our lives which just continue. And actually, having periods is one of those that as much as an awful lot of our lives have been suspended, women still need to address that side of their lives. And so it's it's so encouraging to hear that you've been able to reach more people with Wooker Pants. And, and that's led to your business, uh, you know, having a larger team. What about getting through to young girls? Have you been hearing any stories back about, you know, how the product has affected them? Yes. Like you said, Zima, periods don't stop in pandemic. And I think pandemic was like the greatest what time for people when staying at home, they get to try a period pants uh, at their own comfort. And this, I think, definitely has picked up in terms of like people using more sustainable and reusable products, even in in general household, I would say. And girls, definitely, mum and daughters are like one of our biggest customer. Um, in fact, 20% of our sales actually happens just for tweens and teens. So we can we have seen like a huge pickup in the market in terms of like mothers trying to make sure that their, their daughter's first period is as comfortable as possible, ed- educational as possible. And we do we do first period packs with that in mind so that every girl has a a great start to period, comfortable start to period and more knowledgeable about their bodies. And I think most important is like asking why these changes happen and how to cope with them. And I think the most heartwarming stories that I normally get is like from parents who have got their kids who have got learning difficulties who already find normal life challenging and periods could add more challenge to it but with period pants they they find it very comfortable and that that always really makes me like very humble about the fact that I created something that is helping quite a lot of young girls and I hope you get a chance also not not to feel just humble but also to feel incredibly proud Ruby for what you've done I think it's we're so proud of you that it's a local business incredibly environmentally friendly and responsible product that you've created. How has St. Albans embraced you and your success? 
I love I love Sintolbans. I love being Sintolbanians. <laughs> uh, the recent, I guess, my collaboration was with our our local MP supporting the campaign that I'm, I've started. As you know, I think most of the people know, from January this year, we had removal of the VAT on all menstrual product. But the government had still failed to recognize period pants as menstrual product and is taxing 20%. So I reached out to our local MP and she said like, well, I'm on board with you. And and she started an EDM, uh, which is called Early Day Motion, where she forms a case and lots of other MPs across the country can join in and show support. And hopefully um, they will take this debate all the way to the parliament and make sure we get some kind of answer for it. So very proud that my local MP is a woman and she really cares about something that is faced by half of the world's population and the fact that the product is sustainable as well. So yeah, I, I really feel really, really enjoy the fact that there is this kind of collaborativeness, I think, among women. No, definitely. And and it is good also that that is, you know, taking your your journey on a different direction, isn't it? You're, you're kind of doing something that complements that as well. I have to say, I do have a question that has come from a listener, which is perhaps not what you're expecting, but how long did it take you to come up with the name? Oh, Wooker. Name was quite pretty simple. And if you ever wanted to start up a business, don't get stuck in name. <laughs> name is something that you can be evolved. I guess what is the best thing to get right is the product market fit, making sure that the, the product that you are creating actually is needed by the community. It's a, it's a great name though, Ruby. It's, it's a name, I think, that definitely young people immediately grasp because it's quite different, isn't it? It's, it's really got its own place in the market, the name. It, it is. It is very unique. A lot of the people don't know about it. It's only when they buy the product, open the box, and they see wake up kick ass everywhere. And then all of a sudden there is a, oh, okay, this is Wuka. So, um, and many, many times customers don't know how to pronounce it. So they go Wuka. So I think it's an education process. This was more like an inspiration for me. And I got it, like, to be honest, I was looking at inspirational quotes on Pinterest, and then this came up. And we thought, oh, okay, wake up kick ass. That could be pretty cool for anything you do, you know, like anything that is campaign related or you are championing something or you want to have your voice heard. I think that's, that's quite a cool name. So <laughs> that's how it came up. Um, wake up, kick ass, repeat, you know, those kind of things. So wake up, kick ass. I love it. Brilliant, Ruby. So you mentioned the initiative that our local MP is is taking up to get the tax taken off period underwear. What can we as parents do to support you? Is there is there something we can back? What what action can we take? And even if we're not in St Albans, if we're in another kind of neighbouring constituency, what would you what would you recommend we do? So we did have a petition. We we've got sixteen thousand signature. Um, but because the petition only lasts for six months and if it doesn't get 100,000 signature, nothing gets go ahead. Um, what people can do is definitely write to the HMT, the HM Treasury, because they are the one who can actually make a change and ask them to recognize period pants as a menstrual product because it is a menstrual product and used for periods. So that's a no-brainer. Uh, so definitely please do write. If you do any social post. Do tag Rishi Sunak, Alok Sharma. He's the one who's chairing the COP26 later this year. Period Pants is all about sustainability. 
and how can we make a sustainable, accessible and affordable menstrual product for all? Should the VAT of 20% be removed as a business, we have pledged that we'll pass the VAT back to our customer. So at the moment, if you are paying £12 in underwear, you will be paying less than £10 for a pair of pants. So this is, this is making sure that everybody has got that choice. Everybody has got accessible and affordable menstrual product for them to use. And this could actually end period poverty, you know. We, we certainly hope so, Ruby, and we'll be, we'll be backing you up for sure. And just before we let you go, um, it's been fantastic speaking to you. And you've inspired us, you've inspired fellow St. Albanians and, and, and young girls around the UK. But before you go, can you tell us what have you learned from the whole process? You know, as a woman, what, what has it meant to you? What's the most significant thing to you from it? I would say my my success so far here is basically going and asking people for help uh, or asking people when you don't know things what you can do about it i think definitely collaborative work and network is very important but i think most important is also mindset if you if you really believe in something that you want to do you don't need much money you don't need you you don't need much to actually initiate it but it's that persistence of like, keep going on. I think that is important. And that is something I, I think that I'm quite not good at it, but I have moments where I feel like, okay, yeah, I don't know where I'm going, but but m- most certain times I do know, like this is one thing that I want to do. And that I think maybe a bite, bite-sized goal is always a good thing. Something that you make one goal and reach for it. Once you hit that goal, you set another goal. Don't make too many because can be slightly distraction so very good advice very good advice a good mindset and collaboration and and small achievable goals i think i think that's a a really lovely lesson for all of us actually um something that i'm going to try to take into the future with me ruby it's been so wonderful to have you on the show again and we wish you the very best of luck with everything but so all we are so proud of your success so far to date and keep striving forward with all of your initiatives thank you so much thank you so much for having me and um totally honored and very humble to be back and talk with you guys about my journey so thank you very much our pleasure ruby that was ruby rout ceo and co-founder of wuka period underwear